This week, the Down and Nerdy Podcast is brought to you by Claritin D. And shout out to the folks at Claritin who not just sponsored the show, but also provided some samples as well. Tis the season to breathe pollen. Yeah, I've been spending a lot more time outside. Yeah, I can tell those allergies are definitely acting up. I feel stuffy. I feel sluggish. The eyes are starting to water a little bit more. That's why I'm turning to Claritin D. Look, it's definitely helped me relieve my symptoms. It seems to work really, really fast for me as well. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongestion in your nose so you can breathe better. And hey, I'm noticing a lot of that right now. As a matter of fact, I'm looking forward to be able to enjoy much more outdoor time this spring and summer. A lot of that has to do with Claritin D. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom, it's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Taking you inside the walls and inside your mind. It's episode 393 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. Really excited to talk about two amazing series that you can stream either right now or coming up in a couple of days. Starting with Mayor of Kingstown, which is coming to Paramount Plus. Oh, yes, it's part of the Sheridan verse. Just talked about Yellowstone last week. This week, we'll talk about Mary of Kingstown with some, with some of the amazing cast members and creators, including Jeremy Renner, by the way, which I'll be talking, who I'll be talking to on the show this week. And then, if that's not enough, we're going to be talking about Dr. Brain once again, but this time talking to members of the cast and the director. Yes, Went to, we didn't actually, I didn't actually go to Korea, but did the interviews remotely with the folks that were in Korea, which was an amazing experience. Can't wait for you to hear from them about getting inside of this amazing Apple TV Plus series. Plus, yes, I do have some reviews for you this week. Going to get in the holiday spirit with Home Sweet Home Alone. I'll let you know what I thought about that. Of course, Supergirl ending this week, and you know I can't wait to talk about how that show ended, and of course, just just look back on the series in general. So a whole lot to get to this week. Let's head to Kingstown and talk about the mayor of Kingstown from Paramount+. Plus. My interviews with the cast and creators of that show are next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is David Fielding, Zordon from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. 
Who knew the prison system could be a family business? Mayor of Kingstown is going to be premiering on Paramount Plus this Sunday, November the 14th. I got a chance to sit down with some of the amazing members of the cast and some of the creators of the show as well to talk about the series. And I'm going to kick things off the right way with Jeremy Renner, who plays Mike McCluskey on the series. Here's what I got a chance to ask him about his character in the show. We get to see a lot of raw emotion from Mike in these first couple of episodes. We also get to see him act on that a little bit as well. So would you say, is that more of an asset for him or a liability, do you think? I I think it's an asset, you know, that gets him to get the job done. I think any emotional part for him is a a lonely place, right? But his his, his fearlessness to be able to, to act out you know what the intentions are. You know how to get it. Sometimes you got to get someone's attention, whatever. But he's a he plays chess, right? He plays chess, so you got to be. He's got to be actionable and and uh, being able to move some pieces around to to keep the peace. One of the questions from the other journalist asked about the line of morality that Mike has to walk in this show. A little bit of a warning, maybe some minor spoilers in this answer, but I really wanted you to hear what Jeremy had to say about this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's no. This is speaking of nobility. Look, when you have to understand, I don't even know if in the first two episodes they it's even spoken about. But the outreach center that, that that Mike runs is a is a is an advocacy for inmates. It's to give inmates a voice and not get ran over and that, that kind of thing, and try to help inmates and and the situations in prison. Also, what might not be known is that my character was in jail for ten years, and and, and it's it's. That's the only reason that has any value is to understand that this is why he has a connection with the with the prison, people inside, the leaders inside, the leaders outside. And this is why he's the mayor in that way. But also his brothers, his father was a cop, his brother is a cop, and on and on and on, and how to keep the peace. So I don't think he ever claims to have nobility in, in the job, but um, to be able to bend, bend the rules and the laws without, you know, you don't break them. It gets pretty... It's pretty interesting as it goes along. <laughs> I promise you that. Another really important question one of the other journalists asked during this roundtable session was, how is Mike ultimately trying to change things in Kingstown? Here's what Jeremy Renner had to say. That's 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 the job, understanding the needs and wants and desires of, of everyone and then the environment that they're in to, to either have those or not, you know, understanding the, the unspoken rules inside the prison, let alone what the rules are. It, it, he wants to keep the peace and he's uh, the only guy that can because he knows everyone's job and, and uh, he's lived half the people's jobs, you know, so he's a guy that can um, he is the lubricant to keep that engine running in that town. That's simple. Something really, really interesting about it. Next up, it's the matriarch of the McCluskey family, Diane Weist, who plays Miriam and then also her youngest son, Kyle McCluskey, who's played by Taylor Hanley, who is Mike's brother. So I wanted to ask Diane about a sense of responsibility, maybe. And maybe does Miriam blame herself for where her family has gone and the direction they've gone in right now? With this kind of all starting with Miriam's husband, we don't get to hear a whole lot about him in the first couple of episodes. But how much do you think she fairly or unfairly kind of blames herself for her sons actually following in his footsteps? I think that she suffers an awful lot of guilt and an awful lot of rage because she couldn't stop them from going down this path. 
I think she's still trying with with Taylor, with Taylor, with Kyle, her youngest son, but it's not looking good. It's not looking good. And I think she's sort of really, in a way, the anger is like a wall or her rage is like a wall. And family is just so painful, sort of to be kept away from, although she's constantly yelling at her poor kids to leave town. It reminds me of the three sisters, go to Moscow, go to Moscow, go to Moscow. And she's sitting right there too. She never goes to Moscow. I'm as guilty as anyone else for not leaving. Maybe if I had left, my boys would have gone and taken the boys when they were a little younger. They would have had a chance, but I didn't go. Another question from one of the journalists at the roundtable was to Taylor and just asking him basically basically to describe Kyle and his journey throughout the season. Here's what Taylor had to say. This is definitely a, a, a generational, a multi-generational job <laughs> that has uh, kind of brought a lot of tragedy to the family, you know, with the demise of, uh, you know, the character's father and the two brothers being in the thick of it currently, Kyle is really faced with the question and is he going to continue this? Is he going to stay in this town? Is, you know, Kyle is married and, um, you know, wants to start a family and basically everything that this town has kind of done to this family has ended in tragedy or there's just a, a lot of conflict surrounding everything and so Kyle's presented with you know the question and 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 the opportunity to possibly make a change but you know leaving the only town and leaving the family that you've ever known is not as easy as it seems no matter what is going on no matter how crazy things get so he he's really conflicted throughout the season of whether he's going to stay and continue or whether he's going to leave Next question was for Diane. It's simple. What were some of the challenges in stepping in and playing a character like Miriam? I've played so many mothers, you know, that's sort of been my my lot. But this mother has a huge difference because I think she really, she really doesn't want to have anything to do with family. If she could just be free of them and teach, she'd be very happy because all they have brought her is pain and death. That's all. And they still, her three boys are still doing that, bringing her nothing but pain and death. Hard to top that. So we're going to move on to Hugh Dillon, Emma Laird, and Toby Bamfta, who are also key, key members of this first season of Mary Kingstown. My question was actually for Toby, and I wanted to ask him about a lot of time that his character spent with the McCluskey brothers. Hear what he had to say about that. So, Toby, my question's for you. We actually get to see your character a lot with Mitch and Mike in these first couple of episodes. Talk about a little bit about the trust level between the three of them and how they actually work together, because I think those are some really great scenes. I guess one of the things that we have to, one of the things that I understood from it is that, is that when, you're, when you're coming into this world, you are, you are coming into a, it's an already established ecosystem. So Bunny being in the position that he's in, it's not just any kind of position. It's a position that is that has uh, certain benefits. Uh, it's also a position that has a lot of responsibility. That being said, the mayor of Kingstown is also he's sort of like the guy who facilitates all of that. There needs to be in, in order in order for things in order for there to be peace in this in this world. 
there has to be some sort of mutual trust. It, it might be a very tenuous one in that you don't necessarily trust what's happening or you might not entirely trust what the other person is saying because there is always that risk of a, a, um, a betrayal or whatever. But it, again, it's it's the ecosystem that they live in. So it's, it's almost like you kind of have to take people with a pinch of salt. So the relationship between the two of them, Bunny and, 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 and the mayor of Kingston is, is one of, I would say it's one of uh, trust, a tenuous trust coated in respect because for you to do what them two are doing, man, you need to have some stones on you. Like it's yeah. So, and Bunny understands that, you know? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, <laughs> I hear you for you to come to me, that, that kind of thing. If you want to come into this, this world here and you're going to come in there with, with no, with no aggro, there's something to, to, to understand there, 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 There's something to respect here. One of the other journalists got to ask you, Dylan, a question. Not only is he an actor in the series, but he's also part of the creative team and the writing team as well for creating this series with Taylor Sheridan and asking him what made them want to highlight the prison system in this series and telling that story that doesn't really get to get told. Prisons are the most brutal, unfair places in our society. And for me... I grew up in a town that had nine of them. And so as a kid, I was just always, you know, when you pass the, um, the guard towers, when you're five and six, you think it's Disneyland. And so it just, and my folks were, you know, that's not Disneyland. And so where I was from, there was a Millhaven maximum security. There was a medium, a minimum, a women's pen. It, you know, what my friends were, my mom was a teacher, my friends' parents were prison guards and inmates, and it's just where I was from. And I've always been fascinated with this unseen prison complex. It's, it's, a, it's, an, it's, an, it's a world unto itself and how we treat those inmates and those people and how that bleeds into a town that is housing them. It's, um, it, I had just never seen it before. And as a as a songwriter and as a writer and as an actor. And I would keep coming back to this story. And Taylor and I had been, you know, he was originally my acting coach 15, 20 years ago. And we would work on scenes and then we'd talk about what we'd really like to do and what we'd really like to make. And he was interested in this town that I was from. And we just kind of, it just, we always circled back to it. And there's an authenticity in that fact that that's, you know, where I really grew up. That just, it, it was a story I always wanted to tell and get into. And Taylor's, you know, from Texas. So his thing was, he was fascinated with the same thing. We had a great uh, executive producer, Michael Friedman, who worked on Locked Up for many years as an editor. And it just snowballed. And then, of course, we have this awesome cast. And uh, we were so lucky to get Toby and Emma and Jeremy and Diane. And it just kind of blew my expectations out of the water with what we could really um, execute. Next up from another, another journalist was another question for Hugh and talking about how do you separate the producer part from the actor part? And then Emma jumps in as well. And there's a really nice back and forth conversation there. Listen to what they had to say. It's pretty easy because when I sit behind the monitors and I watch Emma and Toby and watch them bring this to life, I forget about the acting and the rest of it. I, I just do. It's, you know, from seeing them audition to nailing it, you know, you may have noticed their accents, <laughs> you know, it's it, <laughs> me, 
both of them have such a charisma and such a skill set. You know, I, I, I just, I, I, I love the producing part of it. I just love assembling it. I love this show. I love how we put it together and watching Jeremy, Diane, Taylor Handley, everyone. It's a family now, but with these two in particular, I have always had such a connection with them. I lived in England for a while when I was um, 30 years ago, 20 <laughs> years ago, and I was up to no good. And for whatever reason, I we just clicked, the, the three of us, and I just couldn't be happier for them. And as an actor, to see them just nail it in every regard and see that satisfaction because they know that that they have it you know there isn't any oh i hope i got that that you know this set was taylor set us up and really it comes down to taylor sheridan he set us all up for success he rolled into town he had us all ready he you know answered every question you know gave us the confidence to move forward it wasn't any unanswered ambiguous you know, uh, which can somehow sometimes happen on in scripts and shoots. This was just locked and loaded from day one. Emma had gone to Texas to uh, audition. Um, Emma, do you want to mention that? Yeah, it was <laughs> it was an experience. Like Texas were having they were having a snowstorm. We're in a global pandemic, and Taylor's like, "I will not cast this role without without meeting you in person." And I'm like, "Okay, great." And then I'm like dropping all these things I'm like Taylor you need to make your mind up because I can't like afford to drop another project for you um but it was so worth it and it's it's so funny because it's just you know it all just for, for my character comes in the the sweet spot is five onwards for me I think but it's been that uh, yeah I had to fly to Texas <laughs> from from where I sit uh, producing and what we've done, you see the, you know, it, the, being an actor is not easy and the commitment required on top of the skill set. And I think that's what I'm trying to say. It's like, I always kind of kept my head down and did my own work when I was acting. And, you know, you forget what is in, you know, required, especially on such a big show. And I remember Taylor sent me Emma's um, audition tape and I was like, that's it. She, it was so detailed and yet fluid I was there was never in my mind there was never anybody else that was my number one choice so then to see then still that oh she's got to jump through some hoops and you just you can't and that's the funny thing about producing too you can't say oh you got it you know you're nailing this you've got to just wait until it it's like watching a, a baseball that you're thrown go through a glass you're like it's in the air I hope it connects and then it breaks and then once you had it I remember, Emma, when you showed up on set, it was like we'd known each other for years. <laughs> we like, I was so excited to meet you. And I get I have to go to set um, while, while they're shooting parts of episode one to do an outfit okay, like approval with Taylor. And I see him on the phone outside set. And I just open the door. We just lock eyes. And I'm like, Hugh. And then we get into the longest <laughs> conversation. Everyone's coming up and they're like, Emma. And I'm like, we're going to continue this. But it was just like. <laughs> And that was like, I think that was everyone on set. Like I, I, and I know every actor says it in every show and every film that it's, it's like a big family, but it, it really, really is like this cast, Kathy Sandridge, Kathy Sandridge, the casting director needs, I sent her flowers during production. Cause I was like, you have created the most special environment for everyone on involved in this project. The, aside from how it's, how it plays out on screen, just the how it felt for all of us was it, it's like, it's a family. 
One of the things I think you'll really enjoy about Mayor of Kingstown is just the deeply personal story that it tells. There's a lot of really intense storylines. There's some shocking scenes in this first episode that you're probably not going to be ready for. And just so many well-acted characters in this series that it's one that is just so incredible and tells a story that you don't really get to see told very often. So it makes it very, very unique. And it's going to be one of those shows you're going to be just begging for the next episode each and every week. Mayor of Kingstown premiering this Sunday on Paramount+. Plus. Again, thanks to the wonderful cast of Mayor of Kingstown for joining me this week. Up next, we'll talk to the cast of Apple TV Plus's Dr. Brain. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out the Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Find the Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. Hi, this is Martin Garrow, creator and executive producer of Blindspot, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Last week, you heard my review of the Apple TV Plus series, Dr. Brain, all the Korean import, already a fan favorite, it seems like. And I had an incredible opportunity to talk to the director and members of the cast of the series. I want to share those interviews with you now. I will give you this information, though, is that they, the cast and the director, they only speak Korean. So they were spoken through interpreters. So I asked the questions. The interpreter would then ask the question, and then they'd answer me back in Korean, and we'd get the interpretation. So here's how I'm going to give you this. You'll hear my question. Then you will hear the talent's answer to the question in both Korean and English, because I want to make sure I know that I've that we've got listeners in Korea. I want to make sure that or if you speak Korean so you can hear them in in their native tongue as well. So going to start off with director Kim Ji-won of Dr. Brain. Let's hear what he had to say. So director Kim, this is your first serialized TV series. Do you feel like telling Dr. Brain in that fashion allowed you to tell, give more detail to the story than it would if you were telling this as a film? Um, Uh, 그래서 이제 뭔가 이제 다른 우선 이제 그 우선순위를 무엇이 더 중요한가를 항상 그, 고, 그 고민했었고 그래서 어, 이야기를 정확하게 딜리버리하자 이게 가장 중요한 것 같다라는 생각으로 어, 작업에 임해서. 어, 다른 디테일보다 이제 인물의 감정과 어, 이야기를 대중하게 친절하게 또, 어, 또 흥미를 계속 유지하면서 또 텐션도 유지하면서 그런 거를 어, 전달하는 것이 가장 고민이 많았었고 신경을 많이 썼던 부분입니다. Well, of course, film and TV series are different because you have to film about three times more footage over the same shooting period. Because uh, whereas a film is typically two hours long, a TV series is uh, three times as long. So I felt pressure in, times of, in terms of time and the length 
of the series, which meant that I had to set my priorities straight at all times. So I tried to focus most on delivering this story very clearly and accurately to the audiences. I'm not sure if I should necessarily call this details, but I tried to focus on delivering this story about the main protagonist's emotions in the most interesting way possible and a audience friendly way um, in order to maintain the tension throughout. The science of the brain sink is something that continues to fascinate me as I watch the series. How much research went, to, went into explaining the science of these brain sinks and any potential side effects that we might be seeing in future episodes? 일단은 그, 그... 한, 한국의 이제 유명한 뇌공학 박사인 정재승 박사의 어떤 자문을 어, 충실히 들었고 또 많은 도움을 줬고 또이 시나리오를 어, 준비하면서 이제 뇌 관련 서적들을 많이 이제 찾아봐 찾아봤는데 음, 일단 그지 실험은 그러니까 지 A와 지 B의 기억들을 어, 그 이식 전송하는 것은 일단 지 실험은 성공했다는 얘기를 들었었고 그 책에서 봤을 때뭐 그런 실험이 있었는데 어떤 사람이 어떤 사진을 한장 보고 있으면은 그 뇌파를 이용해서 이 사람이 보고 있는 사진의 형태를 다른 그 영상 장치를 통해서 구현하는 거의 8-90%까지 이렇게 정확하게 구현하는 어 그런 것까지 실험 단계에 성공했다는 것을 듣고 책을 통해서 봤고 어뭐 그러면서 하여튼 어 뇌의 그 비밀과 스스끼 같은 것들을 많이 그, 그 공부할 수 있었던 것 같아요. 그래서 어이 이야기가 황, 허황된 것이 아니고 어 가능한 이야기구나라는 확신을 어좀 들어서 좀더더 이렇게 그어 작업하는데 더 확신과 믿음을 가지고 작업할 수 있었고 그리고 그 이제 처음 뇌를 그 동기화하면서 생기는 어그 어떤 부작용 같은 거는 초반에 많이 어 넣으려고 했었어요. 그러니까 이게 자기 기억인지 누구의 기억인지 그리고 이한 사람의 기억 속에는 또 다른 사람들의 기억들이 다 이렇게 섞여 있고 뭐또 중첩도 되기, 되기도 하고 이러면서 어떤 혼란을 주는 과정을 통해서 부작용을 많이 어 넣으려 했고 그래서 그그 그 특정인의 어떤 두려움 어또 추억 뭐 이런 것들이 두서 없이 맥락 없이 들어오면서 어그 어떤 그 부장도 부작용들을 가지고 가게 됐고 그러면서 이제 조금씩 계속 실험을 거듭하면서 이 사람이 이제 컨트롤하기 시작하면서부터는 어, 뒷부분에는 조금 더더 이렇게 정연한 정리된 어떤 기억 그 사람의 기억들을 제가 그 선택과 집중할 수 있는 방식으로 되어 있는데 그것보다도 중요한 것은 어, 다른 사람의 뇌를 통해서 자신이 그 사람이 기억하고 있는 자신을 발견함으로써 자, 아, 그리고 또그 기억을 통해서 사건을 해결하고 어, 사건의 중심과 핵심으로 다가갈수록 자신에 대해서 알게 되는 어떤 그 과정을 어, 담으려고 했고 그래서 자신의 결핍이 무엇인지 왜 자신 때문에 주의가 불행해지고 어, 불화가 일으켜지는 건지 이런 걸 알게 되면서 세계와 어, 화해를 하고 또 어떤 그 어, 결핍된 것들이 회복되는 어떤 이야기를 어, 담으려고 했습니다. Well, for one, we received advice from Dr. Jung Jae-sung, who is an esteemed figure in the space of neuroscience in Korea. He was very helpful at that. 
And I read a lot of brain science related books when I was writing the script. And I saw that there was a successful experiment with mice where the memories from rat A was transferred to rat B. And I also read another experiment where the test subject was watching a picture and we were able to regenerate, visualize the picture that he was looking at by analyzing the test subjects brain waves with 80 to 90% accuracy. So by reading these reading about these experiments, I was able to learn more about the mysteries of the human brain. And I learned that this story is not completely absurd, but could be plausible in a way. And this helped me find more confidence and faith in my narrative. As for the side effects that accompany uh, the brain sinks. I tried to feature them in the earlier part of the series. Um, so these side effects mostly relate to how the memories of Kosewon is jumbled up and mixed, overlapped with other people's memories, and uh, their fears and memories are kind of uh, mixed with his memories with no context at all. Uh, this can be called a side effect if we would, and. However, as the main character repeats his experiments, he gradually gains control and towards the end, he uh, is able to organize these pieces of memories and piece them together so that it would um, uh, it would create a seamless context. However, uh, what's more important is that this person is able to discover who he is as a person through other people's memories and their brains. And as he is getting closer to the truth of the mystery, he's discovering more about himself and how he is flawed as a person, why people around him was having a hard time and how he hurt his most closest friends and families. And um, by learning this, he's able to address those flaws that he have and restore the connections with society and eventually grow as a person. That was the focus of the narrative. Thank you very much. One more question for me, Director Kim. You have such an amazing cast and so many great performances in this series. Talk about what it was like working with such a talented group of, of actors. Uh, 또 신선했다라는 것은 또 다른 마 다른 의미로 또또 모험적이었고 도전적이었다는 어떤 그 의미도 있었어요. 그래서 모든 것이 다 순조롭게 진행이 됐고 제가 이제 그 드라마를 처음 하기 때문에 배우들은 그 영화와 드라마를 매체를 자유롭게 왔다 갔다 하는 그런 배우들 위주로 그 중에서 이제 가장 이 드라마에 적합할 수 있는 배우 그리고 훌륭한 연기자 연기력을 겸비한 어, 그런 어, 배우들을 캐스팅했고 그 결과는 너무나 훌륭하게 나왔습니다. Yes, and it was my first time working with almost all of the actors that played a main character in the series. So I was very curious to see how they would perform and it was very new, a new uh, challenge for me, an adventure for me. And since it was my very first TV series, I wanted to go for actors who can just freely go between cinema and TV and who have experience in doing both. So uh, I looked for actors who could put on a solid performance for both TV and cinema. And they turned out to completely live up to my expectations and the outcome was very satisfying. Director Kim, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Bye. So I'm not sure how you could talk about Dr. Brain without talking to the star himself. So I yes, I did get a chance to sit down with the talented Lee Sun Kyun who plays Sewon. Let's hear from him now. Lee Sun, Anyang Hakaseo. Anyang Seo. 
So what do you think is the most interesting aspect of Sewon's character? 일단은 세원은 뭐 처음에 태어날 때부터 감정이 없는 공감하지 못하는 선천적인 불편함을 갖고 있는 캐릭터고요. 근데 그 반면에 굉장히 뛰어난 재능과 어떤 과학적인 재능을 갖고 있는 인물인데 이제 어 세원은 감정이 없는 대신 굉장히 지적인 호기심이 가득한 것 같아요. 그러니까 그 가족이 둘러싼 비극에 대한 원인에 대한 호기심부터 이 드라마는 시작이 되는 것 같고요. 근데 그 기억을 추리해내는 과정에 어떤 다른 인물들의 감정을 같이 겪게 되면서 선천적으로 감정을 느끼지 못했던 부분이 이제 채워지고 감정적인 성장을 해가는 인물이 굉장히 매력적이라고 생각합니다. Uh, yes, so the character Sewon has a brain anomaly. He doesn't feel emotions, but on the other hand, he has very uh, good cognitive skills. He's a very smart man. Um, and but I think um, he doesn't have any emotions, but he has a lot of curiosity. And I think this curiosity is what just starts his uh, journey um, in this show. Um, and while he's on this journey, trying to track down what happened to his family, um, he brain syncs with, syncs with different people and he learns of these new emotions uh, from these people. So I think um, there is a lot of personal growth of Sewon uh, within the story. This could be seen as a coming of age story for Sewon. So I think that was um, what appealed to me the most. Sewon's experienced a lot of tragedy in his life, and it seems like it's continuing into adulthood for him as well. Do you feel like he is driven by these tragedies? 그렇죠. 근데 이런 비극들을 겪으면서 또 감정이 없는 인물이기 때문에 어떤 감정을 느끼지 못하는 것 자체가 굉장히 궁금해야 하는 것 같아요. 왜 나한테 이런 일이 일어나고 주위에 이런 비극이 일어나는지에 대한 지적인 호기심부터 이 드라마가 시작이 되는 것 같은데 어, 근데 이 사건을 풀려고 하는 어, 그 호기심으로 통해가지고 제가 기존에 태어날 때부터 느껴보지 못한 감정을 통해 가지고 이 모든 원인은 어쩌면 나를 통해 주위 사람들을 굉장히 외롭게 하고 고독하게 만들었다는 그런 죄의식 그 참회를 통해 가지고 이 드라마가 어, 나아가는 또 동력이 되기 때문에 그 부분이 되게 재밌게 예. Uh, yes, of course. Um, he goes through a lot of tragedies in his life, but he is an emotionless character. So instead of feeling sad about the tragedy, he feels a lot of curiosity. He's very just curious about why these things happen to him and what is behind this tragedy. So I think this curiosity is what actually drives him to, you know, uncover what has happened to him. And uh, on this journey, he also uh, learns of these new feelings. And so I think it kind of circles back. So these feelings kind of lets him know that um, it was it could have actually been him who has made the family um, uh, feel so distant from him. Um, and that may have led to some of the tragedies that he uh, has met in life. So it kind of the the reason why he brainsticks so hard is because he wants kind of an an atonement to his family because he feels later on that he was not a good uh, family. Uh, he was not a good dad. He was not a good husband to his family. So yeah, I think it's definitely a driver and also curiosity is a driver for him too. Definitely. The relationship between Sewon and Jai is a complicated one and is a big part of the mystery 
in Dr. Brain. Is it possible that we will learn about how Sewan and Jai saw their relationship differently in these upcoming upcoming episodes? Um, I am kind of worried that this might be a spoiler. I'm not sure, but um, later on, he brain sings with uh, Jae, and some of her memories tell us more about the relationship, and they become key to him solving the mystery. Um, so I think through these brain sings, he kind of uh, it kind of sheds light on their complex relationship, and later on, Sewon feels sorry for her, and he feels. Um, he kind of deals with his emotions with her. So, um, yeah, I think you will find out more about the relationship uh, in the future episodes to come. Excellent. Thank you. The science behind the brain sync technology is fascinating to me as I watch the show. Could we see some unexpected side effects from Sewan doing this experiment, you could say, very recklessly? <laughs> 아프게 제가 생각지 못한 감정과 어느 특정들도 부작용으로 인해 저한테 전이가 되는 또 이런 이야기가 나오기 때문에 그게 또 굉장히 재미있는 관점 포인트가 되실 겁니다. Um, yes, there are side effects. Um, not only are memories transferred, but also like the emotions and the characteristics and habits of the person that that's brain synced is also transferred to Sewon. So I think that's uh, one of the interesting points that you should look out for. Lisa, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Speaking of Sewon's wife, I also got a chance to talk to the wonderful and talented Lee Yu Yong, who plays Jai, and Park Hee Soon, who plays Kang Moon Lee, who you'll meet a lot more and know a lot more about in this second episode. Let's see what I can get them to talk about without spoiling anything. This question is for the both of you. Both of your characters have very different roles in the overall mystery of Dr. Brain. How much did you both enjoy playing these characters and each reveal that is still yet to come? Secretive, and then uh, another side of him is that he is former police current 
uh, private investigator. So there is this more intuitive and realistic side of him as well. And I think kind of exploring those two kind of characteristics was very interesting. So, uh, trying to decide which side of him is going to be uh, portrayed uh, more strongly, I think is something that we really mulled over. 제이 정재인은 처음에 미스테리 하면서도 무슨 일이 있었던 걸까 궁금증을 불러일으키는 그런 어 인물인데요. 초반엔 그렇게 시작을 해서 이제 후반으로 갈수록 남편의 세원한테도 그리고 시청자분들한테도 이해를 받게 되는 그런 캐릭터예요. 그 과정에서 그 과정에서 매 장면마다 보여 하는 부, 다양한 모습들이 있었는데 아들을 사고를 잃고 점점 그 사건에 집착하면서 광기를 보여주기도 하고 남편의 기억 속에서 좀 괴기스럽고 공포스러운 이미지로 보여지기도 하고 때로는 따뜻하고 강인한 엄마로 보여지기도 하고 그 모든 정말 여러 인물을 모아놓은 것 같은 폭넓은 연기를 해야 됐어서 어려움이 있었지만 그만큼 다양한 연기를 한다는 그 즐거움이 있어서 감독님과 현장에서 이것저것 다양한 연기를 하면서 연기를 한 정말 연기를 한다는 것에 대한 즐거움을 느낄 수 있었던 작업이었던 것 같아요. Yeah, so Jung Jae is a mysterious character, and I think uh, the viewers want to know her story. So what has she been? through to be at this situation at this point. And um, while it starts in a mystery, uh, later on, uh, I think uh, she's finally understood by Sewan. And uh, with Sewan having a better understanding of his wife, the audience also gets to have a better understanding of what has been driving Jae throughout the series. It's a very interesting character in that it's very multi-layered and complex. So at times, after especially the loss of her son, she shows obsession and madness. And then at times, she is depicted as a kind of a horror, eerie character. And then at other times, she is very warm and she's a very dedicated and strong mother. And so as an actor, it was almost as if there were many different characters all put into this one character, Jae. And uh, it's actually very, uh, a rewarding experience to be able to play uh, such a versatile character. Uh, I really talked a lot with the director on that and we tried and threw different ideas so that we can really kind of create a character uh, that was most uh, befitting for the storyline. And uh, as an actor, it was a very enjoyable experience. Thank you both. This question is for Lee Yu. Sewon is certainly not an easy person to understand and sometimes even get along with. Will we learn more about what Jai saw in him and felt and what made her fall in love with him all those years ago? Ah, 저희 그게요. 음. 아, 나오지 않는 것 같아요. 네. 그 과거 이야기는 나오지 않는데 저도 궁금했던 부분이고 그래서 남편인 세원과 얘기를 했을 때 인간적인 연민과 또 동정심 챙겨주고 싶은 그런 마음이 들어서 결혼하게 된게 아닌가 그렇게 예상을 했습니다. Yeah, so unfortunately, the history of the couple is not uh, a big part 
of the series this time. Uh, but it is something that got me very uh, curious as well. I couldn't really first understand how JV would fall in love with a character like Sewon. So I talked a lot with uh, Lee Sung Yoon, who plays Sewon. And uh, we thought that you know, they worked together in the past and kind of Jae was uh, kind of uh, felt that she wanted to take care of him and you know, based on compassion uh, that they fell in love and ended up getting married. Thank you very much. One more question for Park Hee. I really enjoyed watching Kangmu and Sewon in episode two. How much did you enjoy those scenes and how important are those scenes in the episodes that we've yet to see? 지금 어, 이 시리즈에서는 어, 그 약간의 세계관을 그 정립하는 음, 시즌인 것 같아요. 그래서 2부에 보였던 케미가 이제 3부에 어떻게 될지는 아직 안 보셨으니까 얘기를 안 드리는 게 좋을 것 같고 어, 향후 어, 시리즈에서 어, 더 발전될 수 있는 가능성은 굉장히 많이 있는 것 같고 음, 촬영할 때는 약간 두 가지 버전으로 했던 것 같아요. 그러니까 조금 더 릴렉스되고 또 유머러스한 부분이 가미된 쪽으로도 연기를 했고 감독님이 원하시는 쪽은 세원의 어떤 조력자 세원의 도움을 주는 감정을 흐트러뜨리지 않는 선에서 도움을 주는 그런 쪽으로 해서 두 가지 버전으로 어, 연기를 했던 것 같은데 어, 최종 선택은 이제 조력자 쪽으로 조금 더 갔어요. 근데 이번 시리즈에서는 이렇게 갈것 어, 가고요. 다음 시리즈에서는 제가 바라는 건 조금 더 어리무기적인, 어, 더 재미있고 어, 어, 활동적인 그런 캐릭터로 발전을 했으면 좋겠다는 생각을 합니다. Yeah, so um... The series right now, it's the first uh, uh, season. And so I think there is a lot of time allocated in establishing all of the different characters and the universe, and the foundation of the storyline. Uh, you said you watched up to episode two, and I don't want to spoil too much uh, of the story. So I would rather kind of refrain from talking about how this relationship will develop throughout uh, the remainder of the series. But what I can say is that um, we tried kind of two approaches to this relationship. One was a more relaxed and humorous version, and the other was a version where Kangmu is a solid, trusted advisor to Sewon. Uh, and I think the director chose the latter uh, side. So he didn't want to disturb uh, the emotions and the story of Sewon. So the focus was on Sewon's story rather than Kangmu. However, if there is a season two and three and, and uh, more than that, I think this relationship definitely has some potential to be further de developed. And if that is the case, I hope there will be more attention put on uh, these two. It can become like a buddy movie and Kangmu can be more active, more involved and uh, kind of more humorous as well. Thank you both very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jane. And I think we've got time for a little bit more. So why don't we hear a little bit more from Seo Jae-hee, who plays Lieutenant Choi, and, and Lee Jae-won, who plays Nemil Hong on the series as well. One quick one from them. So this question is for the both of you. Both of your characters have a very different first impression of Se-won. Can you tell us how they both view him differently? 처음엔 존경하는 입장에 존경하는 선배 학회에서 
어, 가장 어, 가장 뇌 지식이 높은 그런 존경하는 선배로 보다가 그 사람과 가까워지게 되고 그 사람에 대한 존경심으로 시작하지만 그 사람이 알고 봤더니 어떤 사회적인 감각은 조금 떨어지는데 남의 입장에서 봤을 땐 어, 뭔가 숨겨진 표현하진 않지만 그가 갖고 있는 감성을 믿, 믿고 있는 어, 그런 입장으로 봤던 것 같습니다. Um, so as a character, my character views Sewon as a colleague who's exceptional in this field of having knowledge of the brain, and he respects him very much. And um, as he gets closer, uh, he realizes that he's, uh, Sewon is a little bit socially awkward, but Damir sticks with his relationship with Sewon and trusts that um, there are some hidden and underlying emotions um, for Sewon. 어, 최수석 입장에서 세원은 굉장히 유력한 살인 용의자로 보고 있고 그리고 굉장히 위험한 인물 그리고 알리바이조차도 없는 뭐 숨기는 게 많은 되게 비밀스러운 사람으로 인식을 했고요 그러면서 점점 사건을 풀어나가면서도 계속 어, 말도 안 되는 뇌 동기화로 어, 수사에 혼란을 주는 그런 느낌으로 시작을 했다가 어, 어찌됐건 간에 최 형사는 사건을 풀어나가는 인물이기 때문에 어쩔 수 없이 그 말도 안 되는 스토리를 어, 계속 이해하려고 하는 인물이었던 것 같습니다. So different from Namir, Detective Choi considers Sewan a very dangerous and prime suspect with no alibi in a mystery murder case. And there are so many things that he's hiding and he's very veiled. But as she tries to unravel the mystery and this investigation, um, she's forced to kind of accept and understand the concept of brain sync, which Sewan keeps telling her about. Um, in order to solve the case, which is her only goal in the beginning. And I think in the process of her trying to understand what Sewon is saying and Sewon as a person, their relationship evolves. And that is all from them and all from the cast of and the director as well of Dr. Brain, which streams every Sunday on Apple TV+. Plus. This is one of those shows that will get you thinking and it will get you hooked real, real fast. If you haven't jumped in on it yet, you're definitely going to want to because this is a mystery that you're definitely going to be trying to solve with fellow fans. Once again, thanks to the amazing cast of Dr. Brain for joining me this week. Up next, it's review time. Time to talk about the season and series finale of Supergirl. That's next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is J.D. Hamlet from Supergirl. Hi, you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time to say goodbye to another Arrowverse series. Supergirl aired its finale in its sixth season, the sixth and final season of Supergirl. So let's do some spoilers, shall we, of this finale and just talk about the show in general. Last time I tried to do one of these, it just turned into me babbling about the series as a whole. So that's probably going to turn into that again. But let's look at the episode just for a second. We get the battle between... Lexan and, and Nixley and, and the team out of the way. It, it, it was a good battle. Kind of ended in a different way with, again, spoilers here, the Phantoms actually ending the battle and taking the two of them back into the, the, the Phantom Zone. That I didn't kind of expect. 
They made it make sense, but they threw the kitchen sink at this battle. They brought everybody back. And I mean everybody, basically, that's ever been on Supergirl as a hero was in this, including Mon-El, which was, wasn't a huge surprise. It wasn't a huge surprise to see Mon-El come back. They even brought some old villains back. And I will say, on a personal note, I'm so glad that they finally got Red Tornado right. And I was a Red Tornado apologist when he showed up as the Michelin Man on this on that show in many moons ago because I love the character so much. Finally got the look right and everything right about Red Tornado. So as a Red Tornado fan, I was really, really excited about that. I'm sure I'm, I'm you know, one of few that were excited about that, but that, hey, that, that made me happy and, and that's, you know, all that matters for me. But what we did get a lot of in this episode of Supergirl was some happy endings and some closure as well. Lena gets closure with her Luthor mom. Can we call her a Luthor mom? I think that that's a good way to put it, right? Kara gets closure with herself. The biggest return of the show was Cat Grant and how Cat Grant helped Kara realize who she needed to be and how she needed to get there. You know, Lena did too, to a certain extent. But Kara finally deciding to just be Supergirl and Kara Danvers and and kind of merge those two worlds together and having the courage to do that is is something that has been a long time coming. And, and that's kind of her happy ending in a way. You, you kind of hoped that she would end up with Mon-El, right? That didn't happen. Not really surprised. They gave us closure on that earlier in the episode. I thought that that was really, really neat. So, but but Kara coming to that understanding, I thought was really, really important. Alex and, and Kelly's wedding obviously was a big part of the show. I love the musical number between Wynn and Kara. Bravo to throw a musical number in this episode because they had some good ones in Supergirl in the past. We got a little bit of game night. We got the happy ending for Brainy and Nia, which I really, really loved. That we got to have that as well. And it just, the theme of family in this was really, really important. And I think that they did a good job at highlighting that because, you know, friends becoming family and, and family being some sometimes people that you choose, not necessarily that are chosen for you, and the mixture of both and how you can blend those things together. And come up with a wonderful life. And that is one thing that Supergirl really brought out to the forefront. Especially in wrapping up the final episode of this series. But this series it certainly hasn't been afraid to tackle the issues in the past. Sometimes they've done a good job. Sometimes not so much. But that's one of the beauty parts about Supergirl, right? I've said this phrase a few times this week. Just in my personal day-to-day life. We're not all of us perfect is something that I've said a few times this week. And I think that Supergirl has highlighted that a lot in its six seasons. These are flawed characters and flawed human beings, flawed heroes, flawed leaders, flawed mothers, flawed sisters. Take your pick. And yet, at the end of the day, they're family. They love each other and nothing breaks that. And that they always find a way back to that. Which I think is really, really neat. And they accept each other for those things. And if this show has done nothing else right, it's done that right. Maybe not always in a way that you agree with or that you like. But they eventually get there and get it right. The portrayal of even the strongest have flaws 
and can find a way to overcome them is something that Supergirl has always done well. You might not have always agreed with viewpoints that they took on certain issues or or episodes that they decided to do or things that they decided to highlight. Wow, how how you agree or disagree with that is is still up for debate between between fans. And I'm not going to get in the middle of any specific episodes or anything like that. But I will tell you this. That's the one thing that the show got right was the portrayal of these flawed individuals who find their way back and always find their way back to each other. I think that that's something that this show has done extremely well. And, you know, I'll definitely miss this show. I think that that it's always had its point. It's always been a good balance of humor and drama and some very serious stuff, but also some really fun and goofy stuff as well. There's been a lot of really, really great characters that we've seen pop up. Is this the last we'll see of some of these characters? Probably not. I mean, we well, we know we're going to see Alex in the Armageddon crossover coming up with The Flash coming up here in a few days. Well, depending on when you're listening to this, it's going to be a few days. And I'll get to that and I'll review that next week here on the show. So we know we'll see her again. So it's not out of the possibility, out of the realm of possibility that we could see Lena again now that she's embraced her witchy side. We could certainly see her magical abilities come in handy on other shows at some point. The Naomi series, I think, opens the door for a couple of Supergirl characters possibly appear on there as well. And, I mean, maybe Jimmy Olsen is is one of the names that we could see pop up on there. Any of the of the Legion characters, I think that we could see them at some point. So I don't think it's goodbye for some of these characters. It's definitely goodbye for the series I don't know if it's a goodbye for all of these characters. Could we see Supergirl again? That's a uh, that's one where I will say never say never. I don't think it'll be anytime soon, but it's definitely a never say never kind of thing. And I will miss Melissa Benoist as Supergirl. She embodied so many of the things that Cara Danvers and Supergirl are. To be able to play the role of the hero and the hero's secret identity on screen really, really well, both really, really well at the same time, is a rarity if you think back to it. The Arrowverse has done a very good job with that. But Melissa Benoist specifically, in her portrayal of Supergirl and Cara Danvers, I think really, really bought, brought something unique and fresh and so authentic to that character. And I think that that is very, very, very underrated and underappreciated what she's been able to do. So I wanted to make sure I highlighted that in this review because I think she's really, really done this character justice. And I feel sorry for anybody that has to play this character after her because it's it's going to be a lot to live up to. And I know that, you know, we're going to get a very different Supergirl in the movies, but I think that this show should be proud of the Supergirl that they brought to us over six seasons. That's going to do it for my spoiler-ish, kind of, yeah, a little bit filled review of Supergirl. Up next, we'll get into the holiday spirit and talk about Home Sweet Home Alone, my review of the new holiday movie up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Robin Wood Taylor from Gotham, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Call it a reboot, call it a sequel, call it whatever you want. The holidays are here on Disney Plus and Home Sweet Home Alone is now streaming, and I'll be honest, and not going to drop any spoilers, by the way. It's only been out for like a day. I don't want to ruin it for you if you still plan on watching it. 
with your family. So, again, not going to drop any spoilers other than something that you might have seen in the trailer or something like that. But And I've said this before, either on social media or on the podcast. I don't like giving bad reviews. I really, really don't. But at the same time, I think you guys know I'm going to be honest, right? No matter what, I'm going to be honest with you about what I saw. And again, it doesn't mean that you won't enjoy it. But I've got to give you my opinion because, you know, you wouldn't be listening to this if you didn't want my opinion or at least curious anyway. And the thing that just struck me as completely just dumbfounded me about Home Sweet Home Alone is that in a holiday movie, I don't think there was a single likable character in this movie. And maybe that's a harsh criticism because there. There are, I mean, there's, there's certainly some, some interesting characters in this movie, okay? But at the same time, one of the things that made the original Home Alone great was that, yeah, Kevin could be annoying, but you still really liked him. He was still a good kid, and he still had a lot, you know, a lot of good qualities about him. And, you know, whether or not, you know, what ultimately happened to him was his fault or not, or at least partially his fault. You know, that's that's a debate for another topic. But the the kid, Max, and I, I'm not criticizing the actor. I want to make that very, very clear because we are talking about a kid here, not criticizing the actor at all. This is more about the writing and, the, and, and, and what this actor was given is that Max is not necessarily a bad kid, but he doesn't necessarily give you reasons to like him either. No kid should ever be left home alone, no matter what. But at the same time, this kid is just, he's very, very different from Kevin McAllister. And that's maybe not fair because of, again, this is a little bit of a different movie, but there is also a tie-in in here as well. You know that Kevin's big brother, Buzz, is in this movie. And that's the most fun part of the movie, quite frankly. It was it was a line, a couple of lines that were in this movie that made the plot kind of make sense. And I'll get to that in a second. But but the fact that obviously you don't want anything bad to happen to this kid. Right. But it's impartially it's not his fault, too, because the reasons that the adversaries, let's just call them adversaries for the sake of argument and, and Jeff and Pam, the reason why these characters are are going into this kid's house are also very different. And that's the other way, way this movie fails is that you know that Marv and Harry are bad guys. They're villains. They're, they're, they're burglars for lack of a better term. They, they're established bad dudes. Whereas Pam and Jeff are not necessarily bad people. They just make a very, very bad, bad decision and but at the same time you you understand why they are pushed to the point of having to make this decision okay again without spoiling anything and the problem is is that when bad stuff's happening okay and you know bad stuff happens to him because you saw it in the trailer so that's not that's not a spoiler but when bad stuff's happening to pam and jeff you actually start to feel sorry for them Unlike when Harry and Marv are getting beat up, they're burglars. They brought this on themselves. They're bad people. These are not bad people that are being just ruthlessly assaulted in various ways. 
And there's there's even one point, and and I wish I could spoil this, but I can't. There's one point in this encounter that completely ruins the spirit of what the original Home Alone movie was and how that was executed because it completely takes you out of any of the fun that could have been had during this series of unfortunate events, for lack of a better way of putting it. So, and, and, and it makes you genuinely feel bad for Jeff and Pam if you didn't already going into this thing. And yeah, there was a lot of stupid decisions that were made in this movie. You could say the same thing about all the Home Alone movies, though. And my the one the one thing that I think that they didn't do poorly is that they kind of made it make sense how this could happen in the modern era. Because you're thinking, okay, there's there's cell phones, there's internet, there's any number of messengers, there's also you know smart home features and things like that. How could this possibly happen? And how could the cops not actually care about this? They do a decent job of making that make sense. I will say that for sure. How he gets left behind, also, they find a way to make that make sense. And when I say there aren't any likable characters, I'm not saying that every character in this movie is a bad person. That's not true. What they are is just, they're just not likable in the sense that you're not really rooting for anybody in this movie at any point, I don't think. Now, does that get better towards the end? Sure it does. There, there are some redeeming moments toward the end of this movie, but at the same time, it's almost like a too little, too late sort of thing. You might not even make it that far in to this movie, quite frankly. So there, there's, a, there's a danger in that as well. And the mom that leaves him behind, again, not a bad person, but one of the things that made Home Alone so great was Catherine O'Hara's frantic portrayal of leaving her son behind. And you don't really get that in this portrayal. And not necessarily that I needed a complete repeat of that, but at the same time, some of the -the over-the-top moments that made the original Home Alone great were not in this movie. I don't know where the focus was supposed to be or what they were going for, but it didn't really work. And then you kind of insert Kenan Thompson's character of Gavin And I'm not saying that this movie needed a ton of Gavin, but it could have used more Gavin because a lot of the fun moments and the, you know, just the funky stuff that was popping up had had to do with Gavin. And he plays a key role in the movie in a certain way and and how things kind of go off the rails in the first place. And you don't end up seeing him enough and you see a little bit too much of like the annoying in-laws and stuff like that. And you're given too many reasons to not like all these a lot of the characters in this movie and that's unfortunate so while I was hoping this could be another holiday classic it just that just did not happen for me at all so unfortunately home sweet home alone not my thing don't think that this is one I'll be watching every year with my family hopefully you feel differently and you'll want to be watching it with yours on Disney plus that's gonna do it for my spoiler free review of home sweet home alone up next Maybe a little bit of nerd news. Let's see what we can dig up. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, I'm writer Dan Waters, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Slow news week or not, it's still time for nerd news. And a couple of trailers that I wanted to mention really, really quickly. And one of them is 1883. That is the Yellowstone prequel series. It's going to be coming to Paramount+. Plus. 
and that is going to be on December the 19th. Now, this is the basically the Dutton family embarking to Montana. It's a great plains adventure, and that's, I, I mean, adventure makes it sound fun. It's, it's clearly not going to be super fun for the Dutton family, but it's basically, it's about the Western expansion and trying to seek a better life and heading to, yes, Montana. That is where they're going. You know that, and it looks like as the patriarch, of the Dutton family, Tim McGraw is going to, I think he's really going to steal the show in this one. We've seen Tim in some amazing performances before, but then, I mean, you've also got his wife, Faith Hill, is going to be a part of this. Billy Bob Thornton, Sam Elliott, LaMonica Garrett, Isabel May, who we're being introduced to. It looks like it's going to be an amazing cast and just a really, really tense thrill ride. I mean, just like sparks fly on Yellowstone all the time. We saw that in the season four premiere. I don't think this show is going to be any different. I think this is going to be really, really one of those must-watch shows. And you saw how many fans there are of Yellowstone based on that huge rating that it drew. It's going to happen again, guys. 1883 is going to be amazing. And it's going to be nice to see a period piece set in this universe as well. I think it's going to be really, really neat. We finally got more information on Season 4 of Stranger Things as well. That happened on Stranger Things Day on November the 6th. But I had to... You know, go back and talk about it because how could I not at this point? Now, we know we're not going to see it until the summer of 2022, but what we are going to see is the story taking place at least somewhat in California. And it's actually going to be nice to see life outside of Hawkins a little bit, you know, get a little bit of a different vibe. And we get to see Eleven becoming, I, I don't want to say it's a real, a real girl because that's just, that seems so, that, that doesn't seem to encapsulate it enough but she's integrating herself into a normal life maybe that's the more college educated way to say it since i do have a degree i should act like it but it's we get to see her in a different element in a different light and we also know that you know she's she's missing mike and you know it's going to be the best spring break ever until it's not and that's kind of what the trailer teases for us it also teases the return of dr brenner which we well the episode titles do anyway. We got the release of those as well. You want more information on those, go to downandnerdypodcast.com. It seems like something very, very epic is going to happen, though. It seems like there's some finality in this, too. And it's going to be taking place in, in I believe, the year 1986. So, uh, there I, again, we get to see everybody. It's almost like everybody's all grown up. And it's, it's, it's crazy to think that, that, obviously, they have grown up because their kids and the kids get older. And but, but to see them as old as they are now, based on as young as they were when the show first started, it, it was a shock to the system for me, this trailer. So I can't wait to see what this fourth season of Stranger Things is going to be bringing in the summer of 2022. Here's something else that, I, that, I, that caught my eye, and, and I, I kind of had to roll my eyes a little bit. And that is, you know, again, we're talking about Spider-Man No Way Home and Tom Holland actually said that No Way Home is not fun. And he was talking to Games Radar about this, said it's not fun. It's dark, sad, and not fun. That is how he describes Spider-Man No Way Home. And fans are starting to freak out a little bit because they expect the fun from the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. And to me, I was like, you know, what are you, what are you complaining about? First of all, this might be the most intricate live-action Spider-Man movie ever. And it's going to be hard for it to live up to expectations. I understand that. We don't know who's going to be in it and who isn't. And if any if anybody's hyped this movie up in their own mind, it's fans of Spider-Man 
and what they think this movie is going to be. So it's already going to be hard for this movie to live up to its expectations. But don't act like you don't love movies that aren't fun. Endgame wasn't fun. Y'all love that, right? Think about that for a second. Were there some big cheering hero moments in, in Endgame? Sure. But it was not a fun movie. It was dark. It was depressing. You could say the same thing about Infinity War. There were some down moments. Was it fun when Natasha dropped down to her death? No. Was it fun? when? The, and I know I'm referencing either Infinity War or Endgame. I'm kind of jumping about back and forth. But was it fun when Thanos dropped Gamora down there and sacrificed? No, it wasn't fun. It's dark and bleak and not fun. But guess what? It was a great movie. So don't think that just because Tom Holland said this, that that means that Spider-Man No Way Home is going to be a complete departure and just a a bad movie and not fit the vibe of Spider-Man. The vibe is whatever is created in the movie in its moment. And think about where Spider-Man is at this point. Exposed, on the run, his friends and family on the run as well. Just wants to undo this huge, huge thing that's happened to him. And he's desperate. Why wouldn't this not be quite fun? I'm sure he's not having fun right now. So I think it's just true to what it's supposed to be. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And that's that's it. That's all the time we've got this week on the Dan and Nerdy Podcast. Again, once again, thank you so much to the amazing cast of both Mayor of Kingstown and Dr. Brain. You can actually watch both shows on Sunday. You can already watch one episode of Dr. Brain now, episode two coming out, and then we've got Mayor of Kingstown premiering on Paramount Plus on Sunday as well. Make sure you're following along with us at downandnerdypodcast.com. There are some more nerd news thingies up there that you can check out. Also, if you want to know my early thoughts on Hawkeye before our full review, follow along on Twitter and Instagram at downandnerdy757. That's at downandnerdy757 and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.